Well, hello everyone. My name is Jan. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you to Mountain Park. We are so grateful that we get to gather online and we are also really excited because next Sunday we get the opportunity to gather on site, actually here in our auditorium once again. We are so excited for that. And don't worry if you're not ready yet to come back, then, then you can, there's still going to be an online option for you to enjoy. But if you are ready to come back, please again, make sure to reserve your seats. And, and there's not going to be any children's ministry or student ministry. So, so make sure you reserve enough seats for your whole family. And, and we'll be really excited to see you next week. If you want to come and join us, that would be great. Well, last week, uh, Alan kicked off a new series for us called You Never Know. And if you didn't get a chance to, to hear that message, I encourage you to go back and, and watch it and check it out because he really lays a foundation for a lot of what we are going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. And, but the basic idea of it is, is that life is unpredictable. And we can't see what's coming around the corner. We can't see what's around the corner from us. And, and if you didn't believe that before, then I think 2020 should have proved it for you by now, right? I mean, 2020 is pretty much the year of you never know. I don't know about you, but every plan I make right now has a little asterisk by it that says, circumstances permitting, right? Like if we we're trying to plan vacations, we don't really know. And, and that that can cause fear and anxiety and a lot of what ifs in our lives. You know, I remember when I was a, a kid, my dad, and maybe your, your parents did the same thing, and maybe you do the same thing to your kids, and if you do, you need to stop it because it's scarring them for life. But my dad, he would hide behind a corner, and he would lurk there and wait till some poor, unsuspecting child would walk by and then he would leap out all six foot three, 200 plus pounds of him with the nimbleness of a herd of elephants and scare the living daylights out of whoever happened. We'd go shooting three, 10 feet in the air. It was nuts. We, and we, he'd be laughing his head off while we're trying to dry our pants and pick the popcorn ceiling out of our hair. And we never knew when that was gonna happen. We knew that corner right to our living room, that's where it could be. We never knew when it was going to happen. And we have corners like that in our lives, these corners where we don't know what's behind it and, and what's going to happen. And these corners, not, not only are they places where the unexpected happens, but also they can be real turning points in our lives. I mean, that's the nature of a corner, right? A corner is not just a place where you can't see, but it's also a place where you have an opportunity to turn and take a different direction. We talk about coming to a crossroads in life and a, a crossroads has a corner. It actually has four corners in it, every crossroads. Crossroads does. And so these two things, the unexpected and, and, and the crossroads are connected. Every time there's something unexpected in our life, we have the opportunity to choose how we're going to respond to it. Are we going to continue the path we're on? Or are we going to take a different path? And that the choice we make in that moment can have a significant impact on our life. The, 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 the way we respond can lead to our, our greatest regrets were some of our greatest joys. I mean, when you look back at some of the regrets in your life, how many of them are connected to a corner, to something unexpected that happened, and, and in hindsight, you wish you could go back and change how you responded. And how many of the great things in your life are there because something unexpected happened and you embraced it and ran with it? So we have to learn how to navigate these corners in our lives. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then for us, man, we have to figure out how to navigate these corners in a way that honors the Lord. 
So today we're going to learn from someone who's a hero of from mine and one of my heroes in the faith. And he's, he's, he's not uh, someone famous. He's not one of the 12 disciples. He's not one of the big leaders in the Old Testament like Joshua or, or Moses or, or David or anything like that. But he knew how to handle the corners in his life. And it made a huge difference in the lives of other people and enabled him to experience God in some really amazing ways. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life that I want to live. I get to the end of my life and people could say he made a difference in the lives of others. I got to experience God working. Sign me up. I'm in. So you can grab a Bible if you have one and open it to Acts chapter 6 and put a bookmark in Acts chapter 8 because we'll be jumping over there as well. Uh, But before we do, I want to introduce a phrase to you. And and for some of you, this phrase is going to be familiar. It's a phrase we use a lot around here. For some of you, it may be new. It's a phrase that's on our journals and it says, realize your role in God's story. And I'm going to use that phrase today quite a bit. So I want to make sure we're on the same page about what that means. The, The gist of that is that God is writing a huge amazing story right now on this earth. And he, he wants us to not just be an audience to that story, but to be participants in that story. And, and he invites us to, to put down our own pens, to, to set aside the story we want to write and surrender to the story he wants to write through us. And, and that means that we're willing to align our priorities with his priorities and walk out his will in our lives. So what does that mean practically? Well, in our journal, on, on page 10, there's this page that talks about nine essential roles. And, and, and that basically, look, there's a lot of different roles God could call us to in our lives based on who we are, our giftings, and where we are, what season we're in. But, but we, we look at scripture and we say, hey, there's basically nine essential universal roles that every believer should be walking out in any season of our life. And you'll see them uh, up there, there's patient and follower and worshiper, grace giver, truth teller, people lover, giver, servant, witness. And so when I talk about realizing our role in God's story, it means that we understand what our calling is and we walk out these roles. So before we jump into scripture now, I just, I want to take a moment to pray. So would you please pray with me? Well, Lord, we take time to acknowledge you and to thank you for being with us as we worship and as we gather today. We thank you that, that, that we have the opportunity to continue to gather over the, 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 the internet. And Lord, as, as people are watching and participating today, I pray that you would engage their hearts, engage their minds, that you would speak to us, Lord. And Lord, I'm here this morning today as your servant, so would you lead and you speak and you guide. We're dependent on you, Jesus. Make yourself known today. Amen. So we're going to learn today from a guy named Philip. Uh, and it's not the Philip from, who's the uh, disciple of Jesus. For those of you who know that if you look in the Gospels, there's a disciple uh, named Philip. But this is a different Philip. This Philip was a, a guy in, who lived in the first century in Jerusalem. And somewhere in his life, he came to follow Jesus, maybe during the story of Pentecost that Alan shared with us last week. But we don't know for sure. We just know that at some point he joined the church there at Jerusalem. We don't know why. We don't know what his life was like before Christ. We don't know what changed his mind. But, but in the midst of the things that we don't know, there's one thing that we need to remember. One thing we do know that we need to remember. And that is that Philip was a real person. Philip was a real person. See, I think sometimes when we read in the Bible, we we, we approach people as just characters in a book. 
And we look at Philip, yeah, he's just a, a character in a book or, or that he's a, some two-dimensional superhero that, that did everything right. But, but this guy, Philip, he was just a real person like you and me. And he had feelings and he had, had sins he struggled with and, and people he liked and people he didn't like, things he liked to eat, things he didn't like to eat. He had sins he struggled with. He was just a normal person. And like us, he had corners in his life. And we're going to look at three of those corners in his life. And as we learn from his experience, we're going to see that we may never know what's around the corner. But when we realize our role in God's story, we never know what God will do. That when we, you never know what's, we don't know what life is going to throw at us. But when we realize our role in God's story, when we walk out our identity in Christ, when we embrace his priorities for our lives, we never know what God's going to do. So let's jump in. Acts 6 verse 1. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So basically what's going on is in the early church, the apostles, they had this system set up where people who needed food and especially widows, they could come and, 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 and the church would distribute that food. And, and this conflict is coming up where this one group has said, hey, we're being discriminated against. We're being discriminated against and we're not getting the amount, same amount of food as other people are. And this became a big deal because the apostles gather together and they said, we got to figure this out. And they, they create a plan. And so in, in verse three, it goes on and, and they say this, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, that's our guy Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So here you have Philip. He's going to church. He's digging church. He likes the music. He likes the teaching. It's meaningful to him. He likes the people. They're nice. He likes the greeters that greet him. He doesn't like that he has to wear a mask, but it's okay. He'll get over that. He likes that there's some people with tattoos so the church doesn't feel stuck up and he kind of blends in. He digs all that. He's going along. And then one day someone comes to him and says, hey, Philip, there's this big argument. There's this big conflict going on in our church. We'd like to put you in the middle of it. What do you say? And it's this, it's this corner in Philip's life, this unexpected opportunity that come up that's going to require more time from him, more stress from him, and put him in the middle of a big conflict. And this is a you-never-know moment for Philip. He could be wondering, what if I fail? How much time is this going to take? Am I really qualified? Maybe someone else should do this. And he could say, you know what? I'm good. I like the way my church experience is. I, I don't really want to change it. I think I'll just continue attending and I think someone else can take care of that problem that you have. He could totally do that. But somewhere along the way, Philip realizes, he comes to the conclusion that, that I have a role to play in my church. That being a follower of Jesus isn't just about being forgiven. It isn't just about learning the teachings of Christ. It isn't just about singing worship songs. It's also about making a difference in the lives of other people and prioritizing what matters to God. And this is the first thing that we learn from Philip, that corners are an invitation to realize our role in God's stories. This, this is what it was for Philip 
In every corner, in every unexpected situation, there's an opportunity for us to represent Jesus in that situation. And for Philip, that meant stepping into this role. It meant making a difference in the lives of these widows and making friends with these guys who he was going to serve alongside with and grow together with as they did this ministry. And I think this was a turning point for him. I think as he looked, if he were to look back over his life, he would look back and say, this was a turning point. It was a point when I went from just attending church to becoming a part of the church. So this is a question we need to ask when we experience the unexpected corners. Ask, what, how do I realize my role in God's story in this situation? And I think it's important to note that, that there's nothing in scripture here that says that, 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 that Philip was particularly passionate about food distribution. And there's nothing in there that says that Philip was really good at conflict resolution. Because sometimes the role that God is calling us to is not defined by our passion or by our giftings or by our talents, but simply by the opportunity to meet a need. And yes, it's wise to look at, yes, it's wise to look at your gifts and to say, hey, you know what, let me find a place where, where these can be used for the glory of God. And that's also, that's great. But we also need to make sure that we don't make an idol out of our own self-fulfillment. We need to be careful about dismissing an opportunity to make a difference or assume it's someone else's responsibility just because it makes us uncomfortable, it's something new to us, or it's going to make our lives harder. So that's the first corner we read about in Philip's life, and Philip embraces it and that invitation, and things are going great. In verse 7, it goes on, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So things are chugging along. The church is growing. God's doing things, and Philip's digging his new role. He's making a difference. He's making friends, and then another corner hits, and things start to go sideways. In the next chapter, chapter seven of Acts, Philip's friend Stephen is arrested and he's murdered by religious leaders who are offended by his faith in Jesus. And then, it, and then this happens, picking up chapter eight, verse one. On that day, that day that Stephen was martyred, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and Philip was probably one of them and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And here comes another corner, and this is the corner of hardship. And the corner, and hardship is harder when you don't see it coming. It comes out of nowhere, and it just lays you flat on your back. Now, chances are that none of us have had the opportunity to experience the kind of persecution that Philip did. But I want to see if we can relate to maybe some of Philip's experience. And it might be hard. We might have to stretch ourselves a little bit. We might have to stretch our imagination. But let's see if maybe there's a piece of what Philip experienced that we can connect with. Okay, so just, just imagine, and this is going to be hard, but just imagine Philip's going to church. Things are going well. And then suddenly the church stops meeting. Anybody connect with that? Suddenly, people's physical health is threatened and they're no longer meeting in person. 
right? And, and he can't worship with his friends and he can't pray with his friends. The ministry he was serving is suddenly gone and all the regular ways that Philip practiced his faith and community are gone, stripped away. Does that sound familiar? Maybe just a little bit. So we can imagine some of the, the, the questions that Philip might have been asking. Why, God? Where are you? Why, is he, why are you letting this happen? Why is this happening to me? And, 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 and is church really even that important? I mean, sure, maybe God's important, but, but man, what do I do now? I mean, is it okay if I just sort of drift away and do my own thing? I mean, do I even hold on to my faith if, if my life is threatened? What do I do? See, the corner of hardship always tempts us to a path that moves away from realizing our role in God's story. When we face hardship, there will always be a temptation to take a path that takes us away from realizing our role in God's story. It may not be sudden, it may be subtle, but it's gonna be there. And so how does Philip respond? What does Philip do? Let's see, verse five. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. I mean, if anybody had a reason to give up, to drift from their faith, to disconnect, it was Philip. I mean, his church isn't meeting anymore. He's not a leader, the leader of the church. He didn't have to keep up appearances. There's no one else around him, right? There's no one with him. His church was closed down. He's disconnected from families or friends. He's essentially running for his life. His life was in danger. He could just drift away, go somewhere else and start a whole new life. And if all Philip was looking at was the circumstances, that's probably exactly what he would do. But he doesn't. He knows that this corner in his life, just like the one before, is an invitation to realize his role in God's story. That even in the midst of the hardship, there is a way that he can represent Jesus right now. And so his response is to proclaim the Messiah, to share the gospel, to be a witness. And as he does that, let's, let's look at what God does Picking up in verse six, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And, and in verse 12, it goes on and says, people believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. And they were baptized, both men and women. Look at what God does as Philip walks out his role in God's story, God does amazing. God transforms an entire community. It says the whole community was joyful because of Philip and people's lives were transformed. And let's remember again, these were real people. If these people were here today, they would stand up and they would share testimonies. And maybe someone would stand up and, 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 and he would say, look, I, I couldn't walk for 10 years. I had had an accident. I couldn't walk. I was paralyzed. I couldn't do anything in my life. And then I met Philip and everything changed. And someone else stands up and they say, my daughter, she's been blind from the day she was born. She's never seen my face. She's never seen my wife's face. And then we took her to Philip. And everything changed. And someone else stands up and says, I thought my life was meaningless. I'd given up on life altogether. I was just a, a, a mess up, a screw up. I couldn't get anything right. And I figured if there was a God, he hated my guts. And then I met Philip and everything changed. 
See, when you realize your role in God's story, God, you never know what God is going to do. Philip had no idea God was going to move in this way. He didn't know it was around the corner. He didn't have to know. He just continued to do his part. Let's look at the third corner. At this point, everything's going well for Philip. People are coming to Jesus. Miracles are happening. It's like a spiritual version of Oprah. People are coming and and Philip's like, you get a car, you get a healing, you get forgiveness. And it's just awesome. And everybody's having a wonderful time. Philip could retire here. This could be the end of the story. And he could could ride off into the sunset and his life would be a huge success because of the way he has responded to the unexpected corners that life has thrown his way. But let's look at what happens next. Chapter eight, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip's in the middle of a huge revival. He's building a ministry. God is transforming an entire community and God says, leave. And Philip doesn't know if he's ever gonna come back. God says, go. This is the God corner. See, this is the corner where God comes in and throws a curveball. There's going to be times where the world throws us curveball, like with Philip. There's, there's persecution, there's hardship, there's things like that. And then there's times where God steps in and asks us to do something that is completely unexpected and that may not even make sense to us. And how does Philip respond to this? When God calls him to leave this, this successful, this, this awesome ministry that's going so well to go to a desert road, 27. So he started out. God said, go, he goes. He started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay, stay near him. Basically, he tells uh, Philip to go stalk this a foreigner from another country. Now, you know what's interesting to me is that this is the first time we see that God speaks to Philip. In the other stories in the, that we've read so far, there's no direct message to Philip from God in any of those. In the times that you think Philip would need it most, God doesn't give him any specific guidance. He doesn't have this experiential moment where God speaks to him. And I think there's an important lesson in that. That we We don't always need a call to realize our role in God's story. Philip didn't get a supernatural call from God to volunteer in the church that we know of. Philip didn't get a supernatural call to go evangelize the people in Samaria. He just just responded to the opportunities based on what he already knew about Jesus. See, sometimes we spend too much time wondering what to do when what we need to do is what we know we should do. We spend too much time to figure out when what we should be doing is what we already know to do. Love our neighbors, confess our sins, forgive as we have been forgiven, care for the poor. Be holy as God is holy. That's what Philip did. He walked out his role in God's story based on what he already knew, what he had learned from the apostles' teaching. And as he did that, God gave him the direction that he needed. But that direction, that direction wasn't the full picture by any means, right? In fact, there's only a very small part of the picture. God doesn't tell Philip what's going to happen. He doesn't tell him why to go to the desert road. He doesn't tell, him, tell Philip why he's supposed to go stalk this stranger from another country. He just says, go. Philip doesn't know the why. 
He only knows the what. It's the reminder for us that God always has a plan even when we can't see it. He was not always gonna reveal it to us, but there's always, and there's always more to the plan than we know. So Philip steps out and then here's what happens next. In verse 30, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now this is the passage of scripture that the, that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled preaching the gospel in all the towns. Of course he did. This, this when you read this, this, you gotta think this is the easiest evangelism experience that ever existed. Like Philip's just walking next to the guy and the guy just happens to be reading the Bible. And he just happens to be reading a passage out loud. And, and, and Philip asks him, and the guy actually invites Philip into the chariot. And, and when Philip tells him, explains the verse, the guy's like, yeah, I'm in. I don't need to argue with you. You don't need to explain where the world, you don't explain the truth about different things. You don't need to argue about it. I'm, I'm totally in. It's the easiest evangelism experience ever. And maybe you listen to this story and you listen to some of the other stories and you say, you know what? That's great, but that kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. It's great that it happened to Philip, but it doesn't, God did it back then. He doesn't do it now. I can't experience in the, that in my life. Yes, 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 we can. We can experience that in our lives. We just have to be willing. A, a few years ago, a while back, uh, I, I had the opportunity to, to join an evangelism event in Seattle. And, 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 and I heard about it and I didn't feel any supernatural call. I just was like, this is an opportunity to realize my role in my story, to go back to the hometown I grew up in and share the gospel with people. And so I did it. I went and they organized us into teams and we had to go out and we would just go and we, there was no megaphones and no signs, no hellfire brimstone. We just would go out and we just would have conversations with people, start conversations and and so we do this and we do day one and day two and day three and I suck at it. Like, like I'm going, at least that's the way I feel. Like I'm going to do this and nothing's happening. In fact, I had one person who told me that if I gave them a Bible, they were gonna turn around and burn it right there. And meanwhile, everybody else is coming back from their experiences saying, man, God told me to talk to someone in a red sweater and I went to the red sweater person and they said, I wanna believe in Jesus and it was awesome. And they're telling the stories and I'm like, what's wrong with me? And then they put me in charge of one of the groups. And I'm like, why would you do that? So we go and I'm leading this group. I'm like, okay, God, show me what to do. I'm the failure here. You got to lead. So I feel like God says, okay, you're going to go to this park and you're going to wait. Like, okay, so we go to this park and I tell my group, we're going to go to this park. We're just going to wait. So I go, I sit on a bench and I'm waiting. And I'm waiting 
and I'm waiting. No one comes to sit next to me. No, nothing happens. And I'm starting to think, well, I guess I misheard from God again. And, 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 and then right as I'm about ready to give up, one of the, my team members comes back and says, Yon, Yon, you got to come talk to this guy. So I go and I don't know what's going to happen. I go talk to this guy and I introduce myself and he says, his name is Matt. And Matt said, hey, I'm really glad you're here because the past couple days, I've just been feeling like I need to become a Christian. But I don't know what that means because my parents aren't Christians and I don't really know what Christianity really is. So can you help me know what it means to be a Christian? And, and, and is it even okay for me because my parents aren't Christian? Yes, I can help you with that, Matt. And if you, if you don't know me and my story, that, that's my story as well, that, that, that my, my, I grew up as an atheist. My parents aren't believers and I came to faith as a young adult. So I got to, to sit with this guy and to, to talk to him and, and share the gospel with him in the Bible. And he gave his life to Christ. And, and we told him, hey, you got to get baptized. And then uh, a couple months later, I got a message from the church. He had started attending saying, hey, we want you to know that Matt got baptized and he's plugged into a small group and he's growing in his faith and it's going awesome. Because you see, when you realize your role in God's story, you never know what God is going to do. So here's my question. Whatever corner you're facing in your life right now, whatever opportunity, whatever hardship, are you willing to realize your role in God's story right now?